encountering strangers, the unknown others that appear in daily life, can be the start of a deeply transformative journey. Pema and I met in the Doctor of Ministry program at Claremont School of Theology in 2017. Our journey has taken us into deeply healing and revealing spaces that have both bolstered us in this difficult time and enabled us to serve others with more compassion and clarity. Many people have engaged in interfaith ministries, working alongside each other to care for the sacred other. Our story is a little different. We were challenged to share a practice across religious traditions to explore how this shared practice deepens the embodied spirituality and heals suffering. The results we want to share with you will amaze you and fill you with hope for the future. In this episode, we welcome three participants in the Purification and Increase project that Pema and I created. We welcome David and Anne, who are both practicing Christians, and Lamo, who is a practicing Buddhist. Today, they're going to share with us both the benefits and the challenges that arose as they learned the Purification and Increase practice. David, I'd love for us to jump in, and I'd like to hear about uh, one of the challenges you experienced with the purification and increase practice, and how it actually became a benefit for you. Well, Amber, one of the biggest challenges that I had was with the practice itself. Um, I've practiced it, I've practiced centering prayer for at least 15 years, on and off. Sometimes I've been more faithful with the practice. Other times I've stepped away from the practice. But, but really, that's what I've been most comfortable with. That's, that's the spiritual practice that I've engaged in with most frequently. And so when you asked me to participate in this study, I was a little nervous because it would be stepping outside of, of my tradition. And then when I actually saw the meditation, that made me a little bit more anxious because with, with centering prayer... As, as I understand it, the idea is to sort of, you want, you want to quiet yourself, it's, it's interior silence, and the, um, the practice that you introduced us to was much more active, was much more engaging. And so I struggled for, for quite a while trying to lean into that practice, because again, I was sort of carrying over um, my practice from centering prayer. And so, like I said, it, it, it took a while. And, and eventually when I got into to a routine, um, I also sort of struggled with, with this images of, of God as light. You know, we adjusted the, the Buddhist practice for a Christian practice, but I still sort of struggled with the imagery of light and just the force of light and, and the cleansing and everything. And, and so that took me a while to, to get through it. And it's just because I never really thought about, thought about God as, as this light force this energy force. You know, I can, I can go outside on a day like today, a beautiful day, and I can see God in creation. I can see God everywhere. Um, but I've, again, I never really thought about God as God is light and, and energy. I, I, I probably had a, in my mind, you know, had some sort of 
had given God some sort of form. You know, I don't necessarily think it was it was a gendered form, but but my image of God had some sort of form. And in getting through this practice, it, was, it, it really expanded my view of God. That as I as I went back, read the Bible while I was doing the practice as well, I was just amazed at all the references to God as light in both the Old and the New Testament. And so, I just saw that 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 through this practice, my view of God became so much more expansive. And I, I, I've taken that with me since then, this, this more expansive view of, of, of who God is, and not only who God is um, in the world, but who God is in my life as well. That's really beautiful. Thank you, David. As I've been reading the Gospels, there are many times that the writers speak about Jesus having this energy where people touch Jesus and they're healed. Or in Luke's gospel, in chapter 6, it talks about Jesus radiating some kind of quality. And it really reminds me of this practice. Yeah. And we see, we see that in certain stories in the gospel. And one that just came to mind which I think speaks to this practice, is that Jesus, too, felt the need to recharge or to be filled, felt the experience of being drained. You know, so the, the times in the gospel where we hear of Jesus going off on his own and needing to be alone with the Father, uh, that reminds me of this practice. That, and I feel that, too. I'm more attuned to that in my daily life when I've been depleted and it's time to be filled and I need to retreat. So this, that also spoke to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I think you're exactly right. There, there's, and I and I think Jesus was was aware of that. There, there's there's examples in the in the, in the Bible in the New Testament where where he's touched, and he can feel the energy draining out of him. I think with the woman who who mm. who was bleeding. I think yes. um, yeah, I think w- with her and, and he she she touched his cloak and and he could feel that and and he realized that the energy was drained out of him. He turned around and says, "Who touched me?" So he was very conscious aware of his his own energy flowing through him and outward to others yeah and what a beautiful connection to this practice where we envision light healing and cleansing but also light filling and restoring uh in a way that is a blessing that we can give out to others there was an image that we received when we started the practice that really spoke to me about, you know, once we did the cleansing and it was time to focus on the filling, this image of nectar, this, you know, warm, I mean, I've, I've kind of sensed it like full of sunshine, this nectar just pouring into me. And that, that was something I hadn't thought of that sensate, that physical sensation of feeling that warm liquid Mm -hmm. and I don't remember where I was going with that (laughs) but but um yeah it reminds me of in the psalms Mm -hmm. where it talks about like the word is as sweet as honey on our tongue Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and I for whatever reason think of that when I come to the uh, filling part of Mm -hmm. the practice 
because I envision, envision this like kind of amber colored. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so, and it's kind of a slow fill because yes. honey or more even like molasses, you know, moving just so slowly, but, but filling me up with this type of blessing that, you know, one can only hope that people maybe feel that energy or uh, in my teaching of yoga, I envision that when I touch someone uh, that I can send out that type of blessing or energy or love through a physical touch. Well, I remember too, Amber, that um, when we had our Stations of the Cross here, I believe, um, several years ago, and you were meditating to hold the space. Yes. And that um, somebody had came, somebody had stepped in in the room, and in, and you could feel the energy of of the room change. Yes. So I think a practice like this also can make us, you know, aware mm-hmm. aware of that energy more broadly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. And I find it very interesting that actually the benefit that you experienced from the practice became a challenge for you. So tell us about that. Well, I think kind of unlike David, I had a a relatively easy time settling into the practice. I responded right away um, very positively to the imaging, you know, what David referred to as more, more of a busy contemplative practice. And I really connected with the especially with the image of cleaning out, like finding the soot and the, you know, the dirty water and washing that away. And I think, you know, with the mind, the body, and then the heart center. And that, that spoke to an image that I had had as a child of feeling, you know, tarnished in a way. And I never, as a child, didn't know what that was and didn't talk about it. And I can remember many years later and, you know, I was in therapy for something and I mentioned that and I was actually with a former uh, Jesuit priest and he related that to, well, that's probably, you know, uh, you know, that may be a feeling of sin. I mean, that was the first time that had ever connected. So I didn't explore that at the time, but when this practice, when I started this practice, like, Oh, like this is a normal feeling like people <laughs> mindfully cleanse themselves of this. I had no problems at all connecting to that. And then with the increase, oh my, because I hadn't had that experience. I didn't know what to do with that kind of, that tarnish. But then the increase in images that I talked about earlier with the, the nectar and the light and this, you know, I just, ah, oh, what a great day. What a great way to start the day. So it, uh, that was, I was able to connect with it right away. On the other hand, I was so excited about it that I wanted to debrief it. And we did have the experience daily of going in and writing what our, I don't remember what the four questions were, but we had four questions we had to respond to every day. So that was, that was helpful for me coming from a tradition where when I prayed regularly, it was always um, in the form of like an Ignatian exercise where I take a piece of scripture, would imagine myself as a, as a part of it, uh, be it a character, a side character, or just an observer. And then I would either write about it, journal about it, or I would be doing this in the company of others through a Bible study or a small group. And so that second part of it was always very important to me and where I really had insight. 
So with this practice, I would gain a lot of insight in the journaling that we did, but then I didn't have the conversation piece of it, the connection. And that's, I felt, I felt isolated in that way. And I was just doing all this stuff in, you know, the room, in my room during the pandemic. And I, I wish, especially with our Buddhist partners, I would have loved to have debriefed the experience with them. What movements were going on in, ter- in their interior life with them, but we didn't have the setting for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think we gathered together at the beginning and then at the middle and then at the end. And, and at the end, I remember some really rich conversation um, between the Christians about some of the <laughs> theological points and, um, and, and some of the Buddhists, you know, chimed in on their experience. Um, but we didn't have that space for meaning making. It was a lot more solitary. And it was, there were, there were, you did reach out, both of you did reach out yeah. to us, um, to see how the practice was going. Um, that I think that helpful. was more, that at was more beginning. like, yeah, at the beginning, yeah. yeah, maybe more technical, I think, than really as far as what you wanted to do yeah. with the sharing and the, and the inside in. Yeah. Which yeah. I've always really, I've had different experiences with spiritual direction and I've always really appreciated that, you know, the insight that somebody else can, can look at and experience in prayer because it opens up perspective to how you make meaning of the world that you're, that you're living in. And that, that's the piece that I struggled with not yeah. having that. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I think I can speak for Pima in that in the Buddhist tradition, that's why you have a teacher that you would bring these insights or these challenges or these benefits and then talk through them and, and share and uh, possibly do some meaning making. But I know in the Christian tradition, meaning making is very important, but sometimes that can also get too intellectual instead of just stay with the experiential. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys for joining me today. I really appreciate this conversation. Yeah, thank, thank you. you it's great. Well, Lamo, I want to welcome you into this space. You were one of the participants that practiced um, the purification and increase meditation from the Buddhist uh, perspective. And I would love for you to share with us, um, what was one of the most important things that you took away from the practice? What I really took away from the practice was its ability to help keep a more inner focus so that if there, if there are things in my outer life that seemed really hectic that might try to pull me into an emotional state that actually doing the purification and increase allowed me to stay more in an inner space and calm space where I could make better decisions about how to handle what was going on and get, get more positive results for everyone involved in the situation. Yes, it's hard sometimes to make really good decisions when we're in an emotional state. Do you find that to be true? I find it be, to be true, and I also find that when I get in an emotional state, I tend to be more judgmental. <laughs> and then I'm making a judgment about 
you know, why people are doing things. And I'm, you know, might be creating impatience in my mind about what, how they're behaving, what they're doing. But I find if I do the purification and increase, I don't do that. I have a tendency that when I remain in that calm space, that actually a lot of times I'll get insights about what is occurring. And then I'll think, oh, you know, I could really approach it this way. And then it wouldn't upset the minds of anyone involved, but we would still get a good solution. And I found that really beneficial. Absolutely. So you you found that it really kind of keeps you in an empathetic and more compassionate uh, space for your loved ones and, and those in the world. Yes, it does. Beautiful. Well, I, it's been about a year since we had uh, our practice and we engaged in our study together. And tell me, have you continued to do the purification and increase practice? Actually, I have. At first, I thought, well, I would just do it, you know, a few days a week or whenever I could. But I found that I that it really helped. And I know I do quite a bit of meditation being Buddhist. And then if I get in a really deep meditation, then sometimes I feel like I get really anxious or sometimes even afraid. And I don't know why. And then my teacher was talking about, well, you know, sometimes that you're you're stored um, obstacles, you know, it might be guilt or shame that you're not aware of that is coming up internally. But the purification and increase helps dissolve that and and make it, you know, so that it's you're not feeling those emotions, that you're really more in that calm state. And then I just got to thinking, well, you know, why don't I just do this all the time? I have a surgery coming up and and it's helped me so that I don't get anxious. I kind of stay in the moment. I just realize we're doing what we can. And my spouse is coming up, broke a leg while this was happening. So then I had to try to do with that and then came up and has to have cancer and has to have a kidney removed and some things like that. But it's helped me to remain calm so that I could remain calm for, for my spouse as well, which is so important. Anytime anyone has traumatic things that are going to happen to them, they just don't need any added stress from anyone else unsettling their mind. So I've learned, I've, I found it very helpful about keeping centered and calm and more in the moment. Beautiful. Do you think your spouse uh, senses a difference when you do the practice or if you don't do the practice? You know, I know that she has said before, when I was starting Buddhism and I was doing a lot and meditating and working and doing these things, she said, I really like who you're becoming. You know, I, I, it seems really good. Can I, you know, what are you, tell me about what you're doing and stuff. And so she has noticed that there has been a change in me. I think I'm not as reactive to what goes on. And I, you know, every day I learn more things about whatever seems to push my button really to me is an obstacle. And if I just keep doing these things, it helps me get awarenesses like, oh, that's how you're perceiving it. Then I go, oh, well, that's totally not right. So I better correct that. And um, It is really helpful to, <clears throat> and then I've put, I, I just lately, I've really felt the highest gift that we can give other people is to be in our calm heart center. That if we can remain calm, 
no matter what's happening around us. We bring that calmness to others and it ha actually helps them for whatever they're dealing with. So I know it's helping her at this time too by re me being in that calm state helps helping her keep calm. And yes, that's the, what a gift to give uh, to her and, and to those around you. Now, Lamo, uh, you told me something very interesting earlier. You said that when you did the practice um, from the Buddhist perspective, and, and if you would like to share um, how you do that, but then that you also added on the Holy Spirit. So tell me a little bit about that. Yes, um, since I was raised Catholic and you know, even though I haven't done it for, I'd say, probably about 50 years, I still, you know, ha I think there's a lot of things that I lean towards, you know, um, God and Christ and the Holy Spirit, or <clears throat> as we used to say in the Catholic religion, the Holy Ghost. And I actually have a, a, a pendant that I got, you know, about you know, 30 or 40 years ago. That it has the dove of with the peace uh, lily in its beak, and then on the back and on the and on the back of it, when you turn it over, it says or no on the around the edge in the lettering it says, um, "Enlighten me, Holy Ghost." And so I've always kept that, which I thought was interesting because in the Buddhist tradition it is about becoming enlightened, and um, I've. I do a lot with the Course of Miracles as well because I feel like they're saying the same thing. But I feel the Buddhist tradition, the meditation is so important because it helps you get to those inner obstacles that you have in your subconscious that you just, I don't see how you can get at them any other way without a tremendous long patience and work and work and work. Because I know I've worked my whole life to try to improve and not become be reactive, but when I started Buddhism, I felt like, you know, I'd spent like, I didn't start it until I was in my 60s. I was just getting ready to retire from State Farm. And then I started up in the Buddhism. And I feel like I've gone so much further, so fa much faster than I did just on my own trying to do things and make a meditation. So when I did the purification and increase, I even, you know, I don't, when I do refuge, I still just do the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. But when I do the purification, I added the, the Holy Spirit because I actually feel like the Course of Miracles saying is it's the Holy Spirit is here in this world helping us to reconnect and get rid of our guilt and shame and our judgment and get rid of our our, our thought that we're sinning and somehow we're going to be punished when really all that ever awaits us from the, from my feeling is all that ever awaits us from the God that created us is pure unconditional love, which we don't understand. Now we've cut ourselves off from it, but now we're trying to make this journey back. We have to go back through all the errors that we've made every misconception, every judgment, everything, we have to go back in order to roll that rug up that we rolled the rug out away from God. Now we're going to roll the rug back up to God, which to me is enlightenment. Well, that is a beautiful way to end our segment together. Thank you, Lamo, for joining me today. Thank you.
If you would like to read more about Pima and my story, you can find our book on Amazon. The title is A Leap of Interfaith, Finding Treasures Through Shared Practices.